Well, if you um, want to turn with me to Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, Dav will particularly be looking at verses 12 to 18 a little bit later. But this section from Philippians 1 verse 27 all the way through to the end of the chapter and into the beginning of chapter 2 is all about how we should live in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ, in a way that uh, is worthy of the Saviour who died for us. So we're going to read all of this again, reminders of what we've covered in the last couple of weeks, um, because it sets the scene for verses 12 to 18 that Dav will preach on in a little bit later. So Philippians 1, verse 27. Paul writes, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. 
So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Very good evening to you all. I hope you're all okay. So here we are, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. And it is such a privilege, isn't it, to study God's word together, the living word of God. Now, obviously, I had quite a long reading, I suppose, isn't it? Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, through to chapter 2, verse 18. But it is connected. It's almost like a sandwich, I think. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, through to chapter 2, verse 18. And what is a sandwich? Well, a good sandwich has got two pieces of bread and a filling. I don't know what your favorite sandwich filling is. But I cooked sausages on the barbecue last night. And I saw them on the plate earlier. And I said, don't throw those. I'm going to have a sausage sandwich later. You can't beat a sausage sandwich, can you? Especially if you warm it up and brown sauce. So I don't know what your filling is. But I think this passage is a bit like a sandwich. So two pieces of bread and then the filling. So bread either side and then the filling in the middle. So what are the two pieces of bread in this passage? Well, the two pieces of bread are instructions. And we've got instructions in chapter 1, verse 27, through to chapter 2, verse 4. And then instructions on the top then, chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. And then the filling in the middle is the prime example and motivation to obey those instructions. And we see that in chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Because we all want to obey Jesus' instructions, don't we? Jesus instructs us in his word. How can we obey him? Because we find it hard, don't we? Let's be honest. How many of us find it easy to completely obey Jesus? We can't do it. We're too weak, aren't we? We're too sinful. So we need help. And Jesus is our example And Jesus is our motivation to obey him, perfectly obey him. So let's have a look at the bread. Let's have a look at the instructions. What are the instructions, these two pieces of bread? Well, we begin with chapter 1, verses 27, through to chapter 2, verse 4. What are the instructions there? What are we told to do as God's people, the church? Well, we're told to live as citizens worthy of the gospel and to be united. We see that in verse 27. And then in verses 28 to 30, we're instructed to not be afraid of opposition and to suffer for the gospel. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, we're instructed to be united as a local church and to be selfless and humble. So what's the instruction at the top then? Philippians chapter 2, this is 12 to 18. Well, the instruction there is to work out your salvation. And not to grumble or argue, to shine like stars and be glad and rejoice. Aren't they wonderful instructions? That's the challenge. That's what we're instructed to do. 
So what's our example, or who is our example to live that out? And who is our motivation to live that out? Well, Philippians chapter 2, isn't it? This is 5 to 11. Who is our example? Who is our motivation? Who is our strength? Well, it is Jesus, isn't it? As we see in verse 5. It's always Jesus. He is our prime example and motivation. And he is the united one, isn't he? He's united with his father. So he's such a perfect example of how to be united with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, we're told how humble Jesus is. He's an example of humility, isn't it? Being completely selfless. And also Jesus suffered, didn't we? We read about the cross in verse 8. We also read then in verses 9 to 11 that Jesus is reigning and he's ruling. And that's our motivation to obey him because he's king. Everyone obeys a king. Everyone should obey those in authority. And Jesus right now is in the highest place. He is Lord. So we should follow him and we should obey him. So this evening, we're looking at the top layer of bread, so to speak, in the sandwich. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. We're looking at those instructions. Work out your salvation. Don't grumble or argue. Shine like stars. Be glad and rejoice. So let's dig in at verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. What do we read there? Therefore, therefore, I know I always say this, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? Basically, the answer is, what comes before it? So what comes before verse 12? Well, it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, isn't it? What do we read there? Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, So the Apostle Paul is basically saying in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, because of verses 5 to 11, work out your salvation, don't grumble, shine like stars, be glad and rejoice. We can only work out our salvation, we can only go without grumbling and complaining and arguing, We can only shine like stars. We can only be glad and rejoice because of verses 5 to 11, isn't it? Wonderful words. 
So what do we read? Therefore, my dear friends. Don't you just love the way the Apostle Paul speaks and writes? He loves this local church at Philippi, doesn't he? Dear friends. But you know what? The literal translation from the Greek isn't dear friends. The literal translation from the Greek is beloved of me. Beloved of me. So probably a better translation would be, therefore, my beloved. Now we all know that there are many words for love in Greek. And the Greek word for love there is agape love. What is agape love? It's divine love, isn't it? So the verse, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love, God is agape. And when, G, when God said, this is my son, whom I love, this is my son, agape. The kind of love the father has for the son is agape. And the kind of love that the apostle Paul had for this local church at Philippi is a divine love, a love from God. So it's not friendship, that sort of philo love, isn't it? Like a, an affectionate friendship. No, it's not dear friends. It's deeper than that. My beloved. He loves this church. And then, what do we read then? As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. That is impressive, isn't it? That is impressive obedience. This local church at Philippi, they obey the Apostle Paul even more when he's not around. Isn't that so powerful? Because it's easy to obey someone in authority when they're looking over your shoulder, isn't it? It's easy to obey teachers when they're standing there. Do you find that, children? Or it's easy to obey your parents when they're watching you. It's easier to obey your employer when they're looking over you. I used to work in a car factory in Swansea, as many of you know. And I worked with the laziest people I've ever met in my life. Great Swansea people. We just love to chat. People just love to have a fag and a cup of coffee. And they said, let's, let's just have a lean here for a bit. People used to say, go on, come and have a lean here, Dav, and let's have a chat. And, uh, and then they'd have a coffee or something. And then if the manager was coming round in his golf cart, they'd say, oh, look lively, the manager's coming. And then you'd pretend to do something important or something, or you'd start pointing at something and look important, isn't it? Look lively, the manager's coming, the one in authority is coming. We obey when people are watching us, don't we? But the local church at Philippi, they obeyed even more when the Apostle Paul wasn't there. So what authority did the Apostle Paul have over this local church at Philippi? Well, the Apostle Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He was an apostle. And Jesus had given his apostles' authority. Jesus had given his apostles 
his own authority. So they're very closely connected, Christ and his apostles. So to obey the apostle Paul was to obey Christ. To obey the instructions directly from Christ, wasn't it? So to disobey the apostle Paul would be just like disobeying Christ. Don't you just love the church of Philippi? They obeyed even when they weren't being watched. And they obeyed even more when they weren't even being watched. Such a challenge, isn't it? But then what about the next part of verse 13? It's a very famous verse, isn't it? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What's that about? What is that about? Well, the original Greek, as many of you know, wouldn't have punctuation, no full stops. So it all just read as one sentence. So the direct translation of the original of Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, reads like this. Therefore, beloved of me, I, I will just say it's not always easy to read a direct translation. You can get Greek into linears. I wouldn't sort of read it every day for enjoyment because it's quite hard to read. It gives you a headache after a bit, doesn't it? Keep reading your NIV, enjoy it. But if you want to study a verse, oh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Let me just check what the literal translation is. Sometimes it helps, doesn't it? And I think it helps you. What does it say? Therefore, beloved of me, just as always you have obeyed, not as in the presence of me only, but now much more in the absence of me with fear and trembling. Isn't that interesting? So it's not work out your salvation with fear and trembling. No, you obey me when I'm around. You obey me when I'm not around. You obey me even more when I'm not around with fear and trembling. Does that make sense? So fear and trembling has got to do with obedience, not working out your salvation. Because have you ever seen anyone sort of tremble when they're not obeying? I find children do it a lot, especially my children, when they're sort of caught in the act of not obeying. The children get put to bed, and then you say, right, lights off now, no putting the lights on. And then thinking, I'm sure they put the light on. You go upstairs and you check, and there the light is on. And then you open the door, and I see Nathan, he's got his lights on, and he's playing with Lego or something, and it's nine o'clock at night. And then when he sees me, <laughs> he sort of trembles or something. Or if you tell them, no eating rubbish before tea now. And then you can hear someone rustling through the cupboards and the drawers and things. And you walk in, and they don't know you're looking at them, and you're just watching them. They turn around, and when they see you, they sort of tremble or something. Tremble, isn't it? And when we're tempted to disobey Jesus, we should tremble. Does that make sense? When we're tempted to disobey Jesus, we should say, oh, no, I mustn't, I shouldn't, I can't. Because that does happen, isn't it? Sometimes we know what we're doing. Do you find that when we're sinning, you're thinking, what am I about to do is wrong, and I know it's wrong, 
And then we should sort of, oh, we should tremble, isn't it? No, I'm going to obey Christ. Even though I can't see him physically, I'm going to obey him even more than if he was here physically. What a challenge for us, isn't it? So the next time we're about to sort of chicken out from telling someone about Jesus, or the next time we're tempted to grumble, complain, or argue, we should say, oh, no, I can't. Oh, it frightens me, the thought of even disobeying Christ, even though I can't see him physically. So Jesus isn't physically present on this earth. Yes, we should still obey him, obey him even more in his sort of physical absence, as it were. Because if Jesus was physically here now, we would tremble, wouldn't we? But if possible, we should obey him even more, even more. But then why should we obey Jesus? Well, because he's Lord, because of this is 9 to 11. Jesus is in the highest place right now. He is Lord, so we should obey him. So what about working out your salvation? that about? What do we read there? So, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, with fear and trembling, continue to work out your salvation. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What's that about? Your own salvation work out with fear and trembling. Maybe it's not necessarily fear and trembling, isn't it? Your own salvation work out. Well, I don't think it'll be a bad thing to look at the literal translation again. What do we read here? Your own salvation... Work out, for God is the one working in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Now, obviously, the Apostle Paul isn't instructing the local church at Philippi here, obtain your salvation by works. Because we're not saved by works, are we? We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So the Apostle Paul isn't saying, obtain your salvation by works. Because the Apostle Paul is telling the local church at Philippi, you already have salvation. It's your own salvation. You already have it. You just need to work it out. What does that mean? Work out your salvation. What does it mean to work out your salvation? I used to think it was a bit like solving a maths problem. Work out your salvation, work it out. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation when you're doing an exam. This used to happen a lot to me. You're in an exam, you read the question, and it just doesn't make sense. And you put your hand up, and then those invigilators, who are a waste of space, aren't they? They walk around, and then you tell them, I don't understand this question. And then they basically just read it out for you. And they said, yeah, I can read. (laughs) 
I just don't get it. <laughs> and they say, work it out. Just work it out, isn't it? Is that what God is telling us? When I was doing my exam, I would be trembling with fear then. I don't get it. Oh, so stressful, isn't it? Is that what the Christian life? Get stressed, fear and tremble, work it out. I'm not sure if that's what this verse is saying. Sort of mentally work out your salvation. I've heard a lot of people sort of say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling to people who struggle with assurance. If people sort of say, do you know what, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian or not. You know, when I repented and trusted in Jesus, when I called on his name at the age of six, did it actually work? And then someone said, well, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When people do say that, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, I'm like, that phrase you keep using, I'm not sure if it means what you think it means. Because very often people sort of say things, I'm not sure if it means what you think it means. And it is good to meditate on how we were saved. But I think we should more rejoice over our salvation when we think about how God has saved us. It's not so much fear and trembling, it's rejoice over your salvation, isn't it? When we meditate about how God has worked in us to save us from our sin, to give us life, to save us from death and give us eternal life. So if someone is struggling with assurance, if someone is saying, how do I know if I really did repent and trust in Jesus when I was six years old, when I called on his name at the age of six? What should we sort of say to someone? Well, if you're not sure, just make sure of it now, isn't it? Don't worry if what you did at the age of six worked or not. Make sure of it now, isn't it? That's such good advice. If you're not sure, make sure of it now. You know, what do you believe today? What do you believe today? Who do you believe God is? Do you believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you believe that God the Son lived the perfect life for you? Do you believe that God the Son took the punishment for your sin on the cross? Do you believe that God the Son was raised to life to give you new life? Do you believe that you're a sinner? Have you repented of your sins? You know, just ask Jesus to forgive you now. Call on his name. Repent and believe now, isn't it? Because very often people like to ask people, when and where did you become a Christian? And if someone can't give an answer, sometimes they're treated with suspicion, isn't it? What, you don't know when you became a Christian and where you became a Christian? And I think it's very dangerous, isn't it? It's very dangerous to sort of demand a time and a place from someone. When and where did you become a Christian? And I'm like, that. look, I don't know. I wasn't there when I was physically born, but I know that I'm alive. <laughs> Sometimes people demand spiritual birth certificates from people, don't they? Come on, produce your spiritual birth certificate. When and where were you born again, isn't it? To be honest, I don't know where my physical birth certificate is. Do you know where yours is? I think it's probably with my parents. Oh, Ian's very well organized. He knows where it is. Yeah. Oh, Michelle's shaking her head. Oh, Michelle's very well organized. She knows where it is. Yeah. <laughs> but if someone asks me, are you alive? 
I said, yeah, I'm alive. Well, show me your birth certificate. Like, what? Just check my pulse. I'm alive today, isn't it? So if someone asked me, are you spiritually alive? Yeah. When and where were you born again? Don't know. But what I do know, I'm alive today. I know who Jesus is. I trust in him. I've repented. I've believed. I've called on his name, isn't it? So work out your salvation is not like a maths question. Because uh, it doesn't fit in with the context either. Working out your salvation isn't a mental thing. Working out your salvation is more of a physical thing. A physical workout. Work out your salvation. Because the original Greek word, which is quite a long Greek word, it's kate gad zomahi. That sounds more like Japanese or something, doesn't it? Kater gad zomahi. It's work down to the end point. And sometimes that Greek word is translated as produce or demonstrate. And I think that's very helpful, isn't it? So the verse is basically saying, not work out your salvation, produce or demonstrate your salvation. Demonstrate your salvation. And that makes a lot of sense then, doesn't it? Basically, the Apostle Paul is demonstrate to people that you are saved. Live out, doesn't it? Work out, live out the life of salvation. Tell the world about the message of salvation. Worship with God's people. Serve God's people. Serve with God's people. Look saved. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You've got to demonstrate your salvation. You've got to look saved. Do we look saved? I think that's such a challenge, isn't it? When a lost and dying world look at us, do they say, oh, you've been rescued. You've been rescued. Could you imagine if I went into one of those dinghies, one of those blow-up dinghies at the beach, and I was just sort of relaxing in it, and I fell asleep, and I drifted miles away from shore. And then the lifeboat comes, and the helicopter comes, I'd say, we've come to rescue you. I said, no, I'm fine. I am safe. So you don't look very safe. You're miles away from land, isn't it? Look, you know, open your eyes, look around you. You're miles away from the land. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can sort of say that. I'm safe. Do you look safe? I've been saved. I've been rescued. Do you look rescued? Do you look saved? But then sometimes we can say, well, I can't do it. I can't work out my salvation. I can't live out my salvation. I find it too hard to demonstrate my salvation, to produce my salvation. I find it far too hard to demonstrate that I am saved. Well, yeah, you can't do it. That's why the verse says, your own salvation work out for that is so important. For God is the one working in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Isn't that wonderful? So God is working within us 
We just need to let salvation work out of us, isn't it? Just let it out. Just let out your salvation. And it's God who wills, it says. He wills. So what does that mean? We've got to stop resisting God, don't we? God wills to work out our salvation from us. He's working within us. We just got to stop resisting him. Say, God, yeah, I'm just going to let go. I just want to let this salvation work out of me. Have you ever heard creative people like musicians, artists, or writers say, I've just got something in me that I need to work out? Have you heard people say that? Like a musician, they'd spend ages on the piano. Oh, I've got something in me, and I just need to spend hours on this piano working it out of me. Or maybe an artist, they'd just say, oh, I've got it in me, i just got to get it out there. And they'd spend ages on the canvas, or a writer would spend ages on the typewriter, on the keyboard, or whatever. It's a bit like that with us, isn't it? we got it within us. God is working within us. He wills within us. we just got to let it out, don't we? Let it out. Have you heard the saying, oh, the Christian life is full of ups and downs? Have you heard people say that? And I know what people mean when they say, oh, the Christian life is full of ups and downs. But I think it's more helpful to say, no, the Christian life is full of ins and outs, isn't it? God working within us, and then we just work out our salvation, isn't it? We demonstrate our salvation. So then, what about verse uh, 14? Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Why do we grumble? We complain because we forget verses 9 to 11. Do you find that? I always complain because I forget that Jesus is Lord. I complain because I forget Jesus is in the highest place ruling and reigning as king. So when things don't happen the way I wanted them to happen, or when things happen to me which I don't expect, I complain. What should I do when the unexpected happens or when the unexpected doesn't happen? Or the expected doesn't happen, I mean. Well, I should be praying, Jesus, you've allowed this to happen. You're trying to teach me something. What are you trying to teach me, Jesus? Why have you allowed this to happen? I know you are good. I know you are wise. And you've allowed this to happen for a reason. So we complain when we forget who's on the throne, don't we? And also we complain when we're not demonstrating our salvation. The people who always complain the most are the people who aren't living out the gospel life, isn't it? I remember uh, one minister uh, in a members meeting in uh, a church in Swansea. He would say, in the members meetings, this was a big, big church, a church with hundreds of members, and he said, the the members who never turn up to anything always turn up to the members' meeting, he'd say. And they're the ones who'd be the most vocal, who would complain the most. 
And he would always ask him, sorry, remind me what your name is, because I've never seen you at a prayer meeting, and I've never seen you on a Sunday night. So remind me what your name is again, because I don't really know who you are, and you don't serve in any area of the church, do you? And then <laughs> nobody would complain then, oh, I'd just look stupid, wouldn't I? Because, yeah, I'm, I'm just a complainer. I don't get stuck in, do I? Just a complainer. But then what about... Um, Verses uh, 15 then. The second half of verse 15 in particular. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Shining like stars. What do stars do? Well, the stars stand out. When you look up, to the night sky, when it's all sort of velvet black. The stars stand out, don't they? That are sparkling, sort of white and bright. And us, as a church, we should stand out in the dark world, shouldn't we? We should stand out. People should be able to spot us. Or they are people who've got the spirit of Jesus in them, because they're standing out. They are people who've got God working within them. And we stand out when we don't grumble or argue, because that's what the world does. Our non-Christian friends, our non-Christian family and work colleagues, all they do is complain, isn't it? All they do is argue. So we need to be counter to that culture, don't we? And the only way we can shine like stars is when we're holding firmly to the word of life. You might be thinking, well, what is the word of life? You might be thinking, well, that's the Bible, isn't it? The word of life. Well, yes, it is the Bible, but the word is also a person. In John chapter 1, the word is a person, God the Son, isn't it? And he is the life giver. We've sung about that, isn't it? So in very much, Jesus is the word of life. And the Bible is very often described as the word of Christ, isn't it? So it's almost like the Bible and Jesus are sort of inseparable. It's his word, isn't it? So in order for us to shine, we need to be connected to Jesus and his word. So these lights that are shining now, if I pulled that plug out, if I disconnected it, those lights will go off, won't we? I don't shine for Jesus when I'm not connected to him and his word. Does that make sense? The only way we can shine like stars is when we hold firmly to Jesus and his word. And then what do we read next? The second half of verse 16. Then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So what's the Apostle Paul saying there? The Apostle Paul is basically saying, right, local church at Philippi, if you work out your salvation, if you are demonstrating your salvation, if you're living out your salvation, if you are not grumbling and complaining, and if you are shining like stars as you hold on to Jesus and his word, then I know I haven't wasted my time on you. Don't you think that's what the Apostle Paul is saying? The Apostle Paul had labored among the local church at Philippi. 
in preaching to them and teaching them, in sending this epistle to them, instructing them. The Apostle Paul had been instructing this local church at Philippi, and he said, I know it won't be a waste of time if you do this. Work out your salvation. Don't complain. Shine like stars. And don't, and, you know, by holding on to Jesus. I know I haven't wasted my time. And on the day of judgment, it'll all be clear. I wonder how many people who have spent so much time instructing me can say, that time that I spent with Dav, teaching the Bible to him, I know it wasn't a waste of time. Because look at him. He's working out his salvation. He's, he's demonstrating his salvation. He's not complaining. He's shining like a star in this dark world as he's holding on to Jesus. And then to close, what about verses 17 and 18? But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So with the Old Testament sacrifices, which were pointing forward to Jesus is once and for all sacrifice. What was the most important part of the sacrifice? Well, it was the animal, wasn't it? There was a lot of preparation involved with the animal sacrifice, but the animal was the most important part of the sacrifice. But then you had the drink offering, like a a cup of wine poured over this animal sacrifice. So wine was really just sort of poured on the top, wasn't it? It was still important, but it was just sort of poured on the top. So I think the Apostle Paul here, by comparing himself to the drink offering, is just being really humble. He's just being really, really humble. The Apostle Paul is basically saying, look, local church at Philippi, if you live a sacrificial life of service in faith, and my teaching has only just played a small little part. If I'm just the drink offering poured on the top, then I'm happy. I will sleep well, isn't it? I will rejoice and be glad over that. I'm happy with that. It just goes to show how humble the Apostle Paul was. Because it's sad sometimes when some uh, pastors don't like their congregation listening to sermons Someone was telling me a while ago, they said, oh, I don't like uh, um, my uh, congregation listening to sermons because when they listen to me, they're going to be really disappointed then. (laughs) I said, that's a stupid reason. You should want your congregation to listen to the best Bible teaching because, sorry, it's not about you. It's not about you. If your congregation are going to look more like Jesus by listening to you and listening to other great Bible teaching and listening and reading other good Bible teaching, then who cares, isn't it? And that's what I feel. If, if someone says, yeah, I listen to your preaching, Dav, and it's really helpful sometimes, <laughs> but I also listen to this, and that person is looking more and more like Jesus, I'm like, oh, I'm glad I only play a little small part. I'm glad if I'm just the drink offering poured on the top. But if that person is becoming more and more like Jesus by 
reading Calvin's Institutes. Amazing, isn't it? Or whatever, isn't it? Just goes to show the humility of Paul there. And Paul is saying, and you should be like that as well. If you're just only used as a small part, rejoice and be glad. We should rejoice and be glad if we're only used in a small way. 